I'm Ollie. He's Joel in an unfamiliar environment, to be fair. I said that before <laughs> we started recording, but you know, today we're going to be looking back at the Canadian Grand Prix and looking ahead at the Austrian Grand Prix. I nearly said Australia then for some reason. I don't fucking know. But no, today it, we have a lot to unpack, definitely, because there was, there was stories up and down the grid. And speaking of stories, as of recording, this broke two hours ago. Alpine have secured a $200 million cash injection from a group of investors led by Hollywood megastars Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney, and Michael B. Jordan. What? Now, this isn't the first time yet. Yeah, this is Joel's first reaction to hearing this. He doesn't, he doesn't know yeah. that this has happened. Now, this isn't the first time that this has happened because we saw Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney come to the purchase of Wrexham in the English yeah. Football League. So they have experience in, in fields like this. And this, I think, officially puts the valuation. It was a $217 million um, purchase for 24% equity in, in Alpine wow. F1 team. Wow. And so it's not just them. It's Otro Capital and Redbird Capital Partners, who are like investors in Fenway Sports Group, who own Liverpool FC and, of course, the Boston Red Sox. So, uh, yeah, the group have also worked with with the Dallas Cowboys and a team in uh, in France, Toulouse. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know this is your raw reaction to hearing this. Yeah, well, my thoughts are on Ryan Reynolds. He probably took all of his Mint Mobile money that he just sold. Do you know about that? (laughs) He bought Mint Mobile. It was awesome. I have Mint Mobile. And then he abandoned us service hasn't changed it's still so far as it is but i imagine in like 18 months it'll suck again and i think he he made something like 300 million off of that just like straight to him so i know he has the cash for it that makes sense but uh gosh so what does that mean for alpine does it mean changes or just changes in ownership in the back end but nothing really changes for the team Probably, I think a bit of both, to be honest, because we saw with Wrexham, like, definitely it was just a change of ownership and things like got up because obviously they had more money and okay. they obviously signed a lot more players. But then in the commercial side of things as well, that changes so much because you have the- people with like the, not not the online presence, but like the social status and the like the mm-hmm. figure that these yeah. three guys bring in. I personally wouldn't be opposed to seeing a Deadpool livery on the Alpine. I mean... <laughs> I've seen a lot of people in the comments of that post as well that were talking about that and they were hoping for yeah. a Deadpool livery. But um, wow. no, yeah, this is all part of like a big push to bring Alpine to the front of the grid, which, okay. as we've seen, a la Lawrence Stroll, can be done with a fuckload of money. So no, we'll, yeah. we'll see. And um, That's true. Well, they've proven themselves to be a race winner before and... They can obviously do it again. And with the backing of Ryan Reynolds, the best actor in the world, you never know. You never know. I am a big fan of his. I am a big fan. I I don't know, though. I didn't watch, like, wasn't there, like, a Netflix special or show or something that, like, covered his Wrexham involvement? I didn't watch that. I don't know the details. Do you know about that? How did it go? Yeah, it was was something that they wanted to be involved in for a while. And they... Because they were like sort of ringing around and seeing if anybody wanted to like was open to it, and then they they saw the opportunity with Wrexham, and initially they were like, oh, "Do we go for it?" Because we're not sure. Because at the time it was a community-owned club, so all the fans were on it, on it. it, and they didn't know how they feel about two Hollywood actors coming in and buying their club. Because mm-hmm. there's been times and there's been instances before where like filthy rich millionaires and stuff have come in bought clubs yeah. and just used it as a massive platform to greed yeah so, it feels on the front of it like it would be a bad thing but i yeah. i think it went well didn't it it went very well they've not only have they been promoted from the sort of the dwellings of the national league and they're now in the football league they're in league two they've just re-signed ben foster as well on a on a one-year deal he was supposed to be retired i mean i'm not expecting you to know any of these. Yeah. um a few of the English contingent might. Um, so they showed it can be done. And they're, try- mm-hmm. they're trying to do the same. Obviously, it's not a complete takeover of Alpine. But 24%, that's still a lot of control that they can potentially have. Sure. It's over, less than 51, like, team, yeah. but it's still significant. Exactly. So they, they, 
I'm, I'm excited personally to see what they do with it. Um, I don't know whether this means that they're going to see, like, they're going to pump billions and billions into the team. They're, they're obviously going to fund, like, provide some funding and for, for development and stuff like that. But so with um, Alpine at the cost cap, have they been riding at the cost cap? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, because when okay. the because every team except Red Bull and Aston Martin, obviously for all the old investigations last year, were like severely under it because it's sort of just damage limitation and they're saying right well we want to be careful with this because if we even go up to it then there's a chance that we could go over so mm -hmm. everyone's sort of like just riding under it huh. just to like prevent any mistakes happening and any like unexpected costs taking them over it huh but significantly under aston martin red bull are the only ones that are getting close to the cost cap is that real well, they were the only ones who breached it. Oh, 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 oh. And Got it. but I think it's a turn, like it, it's a case of they prefer not to run exactly at it because then things could come up and then you could find yourself accidentally going over. So sure. they run a bit, not quite significantly under it, but a little bit under it. Sure. Just to make sure you've got that breathing space and like a safety net, just in case anything comes up. Yeah. So when it comes down to it, they don't have to like kick an intern out the yeah. door. <laughs> Leave now. We can't afford your one hour of work. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, so if there's a significant gap there um, to the limit, then I could see this cash injection being a, a huge deal for Alpine. Huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. And they're currently fifth in the Constructors' Championship, which is, is it's a respectable standing, especially since they haven't really looked all that good. Of course, they have a podium already in Monaco, but I don't know. They've kind of just been there for me. Yeah. So... It, and it's been the same with a lot of other teams. And I think that this is good. You know, it, it's good when you see teams that aren't always fighting at the front and they get this massive boost and yeah. they get people with genuine visions and genuine goals as well. Like, it's not just like a load of billionaire tycoons and stuff that are just sure. flaunting, like throwing a load of money at it and just saying, oh, yeah, we bought this because we can. Yeah. It's actually like a, a feasible, like the, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney and Michael B. Jordan, they all have like actual goals. And they, they genuinely care about what they're putting their money into, which is something you almost don't see a lot these days. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. with the state of some of these owners that, that are in sports nowadays. So it's nice to see people with, with genuine goals and genuine plans for success to, to come up and, and buy these teams. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm curious, though. I don't know if I've ever seen Ryan Reynolds. And I know there's kind of a just like a CNB scene and you don't know, you know, who who's just in front of the camera versus who's really involved and passionate. But I don't know that I've seen Ryan Reynolds pop up on any race, you know, like Miami, we saw literally everyone and, and Tom Cruise shows up a lot. And like, I don't know if I've seen Ryan, Ryan's face on like a F1 broadcast or anything. I, I haven't, which is weird. I think I've seen Rob Michael Henney before okay. at a race, but I've never like, heard of, of Ryan Reynolds being even remotely interested in Formula One. But I yeah. think this is just a case of like he's seen how well it's doing, and because obviously Formula One at the moment is on a meteoric rise in terms of popularity, yeah. especially in the states, yeah, and and over there in North America, and he sees that and he thinks, okay, well we can ride that as well, right. and we can make this a massive thing. So yeah. he clearly like it's in the terms of just like sports ownership, because obviously with Wrexham he's pulling off a massive success story over there. Yeah. So it, it, he's probably sat down and thought, right, well, where else can we do this? And then he's seen, oh, F1's doing well. We could maybe go into that. Yeah. And he's seen the team that needs it and gone, right, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you $217 million. Yeah. Well, yeah, that could be a really, really big deal. Um, I hope it goes as well as the whole record story went. Um, one thing that happened somewhat recently that's outside of my sphere, but somebody was telling me about it, was Messi's deal. Do you know about Messi's deal and, like, part ownership of the like uh what was it do you know the details of that he was offered a huge huge amount of money but also i think more importantly he was offered like a cut of the like broadcast profits or something like that is that correct well, like it, that? it's deals like that that we see all the time it was a very integral deal well, part of the deal that kept killing mbappe with psg and okay. they gave him basically the say on, on transfers. He basically became the director of football at PSG. 
And then also you have Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a universally like household name. When he moved to Al Nazar in Saudi Arabia, he his initial contract was to play for two years, and then after he retire and then become the ambassador for Saudi Arabian football. I see. So it, it's deals like that that happen a lot, but I I haven't really gone into like I had any of the specifics of, of Messi's deal with Inter Miami. Yeah, but I'm, look, I'm trying to look it up right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I'm glad he's gone there. We could see him. I'm imagining him seeing on the gridwalk. Oh, please, Messi on the gridwalk would complete me. Yeah, here I'm gonna share this. I don't know. Maybe we can piece this out together because I think you know a lot more than this about this stuff than me. But um, there's, if I'm not mistaken, there's a correct, there's a really interesting um, aspect of it that I thought he, so this says, uh, in terms of deal, finalizing paperwork, he says two and a half year deal worth 50 million to 60 million per year with an option to extend to 2026. He's got his work cut out for him to be fair, because they're currently sitting uh, bottom of the Eastern Conference. Yeah. And they, they had the worst attack in the league. They have uh, one of the MLS's all-time greats in Josef Martinez up front, and he's only racked something like four goals in, in 16 games, which is which is horrible, but it, it's messy. You know, that would be like putting Max Verstappen in AlphaTauri. Yeah. You know, he, he'd still probably win. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm not seeing in this article what I thought I was uh, what I thought I was understanding. So maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that there was some sort of like cut towards either team ownership or broadcast right uh, broadcast profits or something like that in such a way as like the players uh, like Messi was being considered like the similar kind of deal as a content creator on YouTube where like you get a cut <laughs> of what's being done instead of just making a salary you know like the labor and the capitalist is kind of like meshing in the sports world i don't know i guess i don't have enough details to talk on it which i'm sad about but um okay anyway that is huge news i'm a fan of ryan reynolds he has a really family-friendly brand and i think it's genuinely who he is and i think that's a nice introduction uh, nice you know that dovetails nicely with where f1 would like to go i think um i guess I guess that's yet to be seen. Uh, we'll we'll see. I think, but what what just came to mind? I don't know how much I want to speak on it. Is um, yeah, family friendly and 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 all that. But also like, uh, there's a lot of uh, FIA takes you know a lot of money from certain countries with ethics that aren't necessarily family friendly. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to get into all that. But um, yeah. Anyway, so let's see. Let's talk about the race. Canadian Grand Prix. Yeah. Do you want to read off the finishing positions? Uh, yeah, I don't need to tell you who won. I think that was fairly obvious. Max Verstappen coming home for a third straight Grand Slam win. I think it wasn't fifth Logan in his, Sargent. In his <laughs> Unfortunately, not. No. Oh, uh, and then we have Fernando Alonso in second, and Lewis Hamilton making up the podium in P3. Then both Ferraris, Lina Stern, Charles Leclerc P4, Carlos Sainz P5. Then Sergio Perez with an impressive recovery to P6. Alex Albon with a fantastic drive, mm -hmm. finishing seventh for Williams. Then Esteban Ocon in eighth, Lance Stroll in ninth, and then Valtteri Bottas rounding off the points in P10. Oscar Piastri narrowly missing out in P11. Pierre mm -hmm. Gasly in the second Alpine in P12. Lando Norris after the penalty dropped down to 13th after finishing ninth on the road. Then Yuki Tsunoda ending in, up in 14th. Nico Hulkenberg in 15th. Zhou Guanyu P16. Kevin Magnussen in P17. And then Nick DeVries, the last of the finishers in P18, with two DNFs being George Russell and Logan Sargent. Now, one thing I wanted to, to talk about here was how goddamn unlucky McLaren are in Montreal. They haven't scored a single point in Canada since 2014 when Jensen Button yeah. finished fourth and Kevin Magnussen finished ninth. And I, I wanted to hit on the, the penalty that Lando Norris got because of the reasoning that the FIA gave. They said, quote-unquote, it was unsportsmanlike conduct that got him the penalty. Now, yeah. that is such a huge umbrella. I mean, yeah. Michael Schumacher wiping out Damon Hill in 1994 in Adelaide and sending him sideways into the wall... That was unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> you yeah. didn't get a five-second penalty for that. So you could yeah. be like, you could, you got to be a bit more 
like like not not, not strict but like specific. specific yeah yeah that's the word i was looking for thank you <laughs> yeah. on, on what you're actually giving the penalty for which was the safety car infringement where he was running directly behind oscar piastri and he was going so slowly to try and make room for the double stack pit stop mm-hmm. which did work and that's probably why they they got the penalty in the end which is still very unlucky for for mclaren and, and for lando norris as well because he was doing so well hasn't that been done and not penalized in other races yeah the down consistency of the fia is a little bit shocking yeah 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 and unsportsmanlike conduct on lando norris like one of the most sportsmanlike people on the grid <laughs> it's a little sad for him to get that thing yeah um you know they looked like they were going to be in the points this race kind of like for me was this whole I, I was keeping track of who had pitted and who hadn't pitted. And up until like, I don't know, lap 35 or 40, I was like, oh, but it's still yet to shake out how it's going to be. And then slowly like reality set in. I'm like, oh, the one stop totally worked. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not P5, P6 for the Lando and Oscar. It's they're out of the points completely. Oh, Ferrari. No, to, be fair, to be fair, though. <laughs> Like, one thing I was looking to say, that McLaren looked a lot better in the race than they did in Spain. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is track-specific or if it was because conditions, but McLaren had actually quite a good race car. Yeah. And if they can take this momentum through to, to Austria, which we'll talk about in a bit, Lando's very good around there, you know, um, two podiums in, in the last four years. That could be something to look at, and that could be, like, a dark horse that we could look at for, for Austria. They're climbing back for sure. They're climbing back. It's not immediate, but I do see improvement. Um, this one was, yeah, rather unfortunate between the Lando penalty, which was sad. Uh, but but honestly, I didn't feel like um, too bad about that penalty, even though the reasoning, you know, was weird because earlier it kind of felt like he got away with one with a unsafe release in the pit stop. Yeah, I was pretty iffy. None of them. There were like three or four during the race, and none of them got given, which I, I found weird. Yeah. And then you had Toto Wolff's impression of Fernando Alonso, which I loved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that yeah, I I went back and looked at each of those with uh, Alonzo and um, and Hamilton, and I feel like the Alonzo Hamilton one over dramatized, just like Total Wolf kind of said. But the one with uh, Lando, who was it that was gonna? Uh, I think it was Alex Albon. Oh yeah, it was, huh? Yeah, um, that that I think they would have collided. I yeah. think that there was a bit, would have been a collision. So that could have deserved a penalty. I mean, that was pretty, that was, that was um, pretty close there. So when the next penalty came to me, I was almost like, oh, they changed their mind on giving him a pass on the last one. So they just had to make something up because they were like, <laughs> no, no, no. We reviewed it again. And that was more shit. <laughs> so I didn't feel too bad about that. But the reasoning, you know, you want things to be attributed to the right reasons not just like willy-nilly whatever um so yeah i do think the i do think the safety car one was a penalty and i think that because we've seen drivers complain about that before and like going unnecessarily slowly is is what the penalty should have been given for under under safety car which yeah is liable obviously to a penalty and um it's what valtteri bottas got a penalty for in 2021 in Jeddah. so it it has happened before and that the consistency, like I said before, is a little bit weird, but no, I do think the penalty was deserved. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. You can't back the rest of the field up so you, you can double stack. Like, he was still going to lose. I don't understand why you'd do something like that because you still, like, it's a safety car. You're not going to lose that much time anyway right. in the pit stop. Yeah. And the if the race war, car was as good as it was, which obviously we saw how it was, mm-hmm. like, you could have afforded to lose that extra two or three seconds stuck behind Piastri. And you're still squeezed a decent result. Yeah, it's a shame. It was a pretty risky thing to attempt to get away with for very little reward. You're exactly right. Like under the safety car, how much time is he really gaining? You're in slow mo mode. So, yeah, that's a shame. But I, I'm, um, I'm seeing McLaren kind of chop back a little bit, and 
flying back. So um, I'm excited. They've gotten fairly unlucky this season, I think. I mean, their car has been junked from the beginning, but still they've had a, their fair share of bad luck. Maybe not as much as Alpine, but they've had their fair share of bad luck. Yeah. Um, Alban, holy shit. Yeah. Like this, like we haven't seen this from, from Albon for a good few years. We've obviously, the talent has always been there, but mm-hmm. the, the car never was. And that's interesting that that we mentioned that car because this was the weekend that Williams up, like introduced drastic upgrades to, mm-hmm. to their car. And Alex Albon, to be fair, was the only one to, to get that. And it will be another two races before Logan Sargent gets them. Okay. And that 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 makes me like that that sort of stormed up the question in my head that once Sergeant gets them, will he be able to put in those performances as well? Because it could either be, oh my god, Albon's had a mega drive, like you know he's just pulled something magical out of the hat, or it could just be that the car was a lot better than what we're used to in in recent years from Williams, and that Logan Sargent could actually put in a performance like Albon did, and then we'd all be changing the narrative on him. And I think, then yeah. I don't know that Sargent will match Albin. I don't even know that it'll be close. I think that Albin had an incredible drive, but I think that there's a couple things that I haven't seen people talk about that like allowed him to defend in such a way that he did. Because um, for a long time, he was defending against... Uh, who was it? It was that Perez, had... wasn't it? Yeah, who, who was on the He held same... up Perez for a long time, yeah. Right, and they were on the same age of tire. So that's not too incredible. I mean, I guess the Red Bull car is uh, tremendously faster, but Perez has really not been on his game lately, and he certainly wasn't this weekend. So it's not like he's holding off Max Verstappen in the Red Bull or something. I I thought that it was a it was a great defensive drive, but there was a couple things like that 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 made it maybe not like the miraculous drive that it seemed like. I did see a funny thing where like an image where. Uh, <laughs> Alvin's car was like stretched, like in Photoshop, to be like mm. three cars wide yeah. driving on the track. That is what it seemed like, yeah. Yeah, and we were talking actually about Sergio Perez, and I don't know because his his future, I think, with Red Bull is looking a little bit shaky. His mm. he's he's been knocked out in Q two for the past two races now in in Canada and in Monaco. Yeah, but then you have Helmut Marco being typical Helmut Marco and claiming that Sergio Perez has the full support of Red Bull, bearing in mind this being the Red Bull that fully supported Daniel Ricciardo, this being the Red Bull (laughs) that fully supported Pierre Gasly, this Mm -hmm. being the Red Bull that fully supported Alex Albon. So you never fucking know. Aston Martin had upgrades. We didn't talk about that yet, right? And they are... No, we didn't. Yeah, they are definitely seeming to catch Red Bull. Well, one of them. One of them is catching (laughs) one of the Red Bulls. The other one is down hanging out doing doing other things towards the back of the field what's going on yeah. fernando alonso surprisingly he was another name in the conversation for for red bull i mean before mm. in in 2021 when it, it was still a little bit rocky anyway with, with sergio perez mm-hmm. fernando alonso was actually linked with the, the the red bull seat which i found interesting but and he's certainly proven now that he has a good car that he can compete with the top top drivers yeah. so I don't know. I, I do think that, that, that the upgrades that they've introduced at, at Aston Martin have brought them somewhat closer to, to Red Bull. I mean, Max's win here, mm-hmm. it, it was still a big gap, but it wasn't as dominant as we've seen before. Yeah. And also, surprisingly, Mercedes were, were very good as well. I mean, I was gonna I was gonna talk about how well Aston were doing to keep up with, with Red Bull as they were, but then they were also under threat from, from Lewis Hamilton behind. Yeah. So it, for me, it, it looks like a very like positive sign and like a a very good sign for the future that we have these teams now. We have the Mercedes, the Aston Martins, the Ferraris, who are edging themselves just ever like closer to to Red Bull. And who knows by like twenty twenty six, maybe they'll be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it'll take some major like regulation changes and era changes. But no, I don't know. I think uh, I'm torn because the more Max wins, the more I'm almost like, just fucking go all the way, man. Like, <laughs> at some point, you're breaking so many records, I'm rooting for you. 
go on holiday for the second half of the season. You've got the championship. It's fine. Yeah, just start Max from P12 every single time. And then it'll be a real race. No, like, it, it, it's kind of amazing. And, like, what if? What if Red Bull, and even within that, like, what if one driver within one team won every single race of the season? That's never happened. Not even close, right? No. It hasn't even happened with a team. Like, yeah. currently, the record holders, and I beg this doesn't get broken by Red Bull, is McLaren. We hold the current record for the most dominant car in history. Please, Red Bull, Newey, Horner, Callum Nicholas, because I know he's one of the head mechanics uh, mm -hmm. for Max. Mm -hmm. Please don't do it. Yeah, please. Cool, cool, cool down. Cool down there, Red Bull. <laughs> Come up hot on the heels please. of some legends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Max won um, the same amount of races as Senna now after this yeah. weekend. That's kind of that breaks my brain a little bit because I hold Senna in such a special high place in my mind. And and not that Max isn't very impressive. It's just kind of crazy when like current drivers and current, you know, competitors are equaling uh, past, past. Yeah, that's just kind of a weird thing to, to process for me. Because to me, Senna, I think a part of it also is like Senna to me is like, um, He's somebody older that I looked up to, whereas Max mm. is like very much younger than me and he's just a kid, but he's yeah. like obviously very performant and he's hitting these things. So it's just a, it's a weird trip. It's weird. Makes me feel old. Yeah. This is what, this is why I feel weird now because there are so many drivers now. Cause I'm like, I don't want to say I'm at the age cause I'm not, I'm like, but you're getting there. One of the main ones is Ollie Berman who's in, in Formula 2 with, with Prima, he's only 17, and he's already being discussed for an F1 seat next year. Getting younger and younger. Actual... Yeah, and there's never been a situation like that for me when there's been an F1 driver younger than me before. I, was, I thought I'm you there's never like... been a situation for you where you've been called to go into no, Formula 1. I think I'm like only just a year younger than Oscar Piastri. Yeah. Um. So that we're getting there, but no, no, for you, it's been like, You've had a lot of drivers to look at like that. Yeah. And when we were talking about Senna, like, he had so long left as well. Like, he had mm -hmm. such a long time left in Formula 1, and obviously, tragic accident, he was taken way too soon. He would have gone to Ferrari the year after in 1995. They were discussing a deal for that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he would have gone to Ferrari, and, and Ferrari then, that was the year that, that Jean Top came in there, and, you know, what, what he did, he won, like, 14 championships with them. Mm-hmm. So, no, Edson Senna could, like, we could be sitting here today saying that he was, was the most successful Formula 1 driver in history. And, I don't know. But for, for a driver like Max to be at that level now and to yeah. be at, having won the same amount of races, yeah, I think that, that, that Horner has almost somewhat of a good point when he said that you can now talk about Max in the same conversation as some of the legends. Yeah, I mean, it, you can't deny the the stats. That you do bring up a good point, though, that um, Senna, in particular, could have achieved a lot more, and his career was cut tragically short. So it's, I guess, that's a really good caveat to bring up that um, when you're comparing, you're having to compare on a shorter time scale. Yeah, but is Max is younger than Senna was. I don't know exactly what how the ages compare, where how their when their careers started, and how many years. They had to achieve yeah well max they... is obviously like he obviously started younger he's the, the youngest f1 winner in history um i still think that now he's younger than senna was well, he was obviously younger than senna was when he died but yeah and he still that's what scares me max has so long to go until that age yeah, yeah. and well but he if they has keep said in... yeah and he has said and we've discussed this before that he is very indecisive over what to do when his current Red Bull contract runs out. Does he stay in Formula One? Does he go somewhere else, maybe to IndyCar to try and win the 500? Mm -hmm. Who knows? But he's hinted very strongly that he could be leaving Formula One in 2028. Yeah, I mean, when you've won everything, the, yeah, what's the point? Bit, yeah, a little fun is taken away. I can see that. There, there are other competitions that you might want to go see how you stack up. I think these hyper competitive, you know, individuals, they need a challenge and they're not just going to sit on the top of the podium for eight years straight all the time. I mean, Hamilton, I guess, but they're not all built to just, you know, sit on top. Some of them want to seek 
other challenges categorically. Uh, okay. So let's see. I want, I want to talk about tire strategy because that to me had a big impact on this race, like to the, to the point of deciding final positions for a lot of the teams by surprise. Right. So let me share this so we can just have a basis to look at here. Well, I don't need the volume. Uh, so anybody who did the two stop <laughs> gained massive position. And for once, Ferrari chose the correct strategy, which is really cool. Really? See, right? <laughs> really, really cool to see. Yeah. So Perez, who started, where did he start on the grid? He started 11th. Yeah. 12th, okay. That, that sounds right. Yeah. And yeah. up six, so 12, yeah. Yeah, would have, I don't think, had any other chance of going up to six if it weren't for just choosing the correct strategy. And so to me, um, I, I think, so this was the safety, uh, safety car that a lot of teams chose to pit under. It's totally reasonable decision to, to choose to pit. But anybody who went for the gamble and thought that maybe a two-stop would have worked came out massively ahead. And what's more yeah. is we saw um, these two Ferraris go on mediums, not even hards, but mediums for more than half the race. And so in in particular, so for me, I don't know how many tires they had left if they were all out of mediums or something, but when they pitted and put them on hards instead of mediums to finish out the race, that was kind of dumb. I don't know that it would have changed anything, um, but also- uh, They do have to follow the tire rule, don't they? Oh, changing to different tires. You have okay. to use at least two compounds, yeah. And I'm okay, not sure so... they, would, they would have thought that the soft would have lasted, what, 35 laps? Yeah, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Take that out of it. But Alonso but then... the... Yeah, you can make the argument for Fernando Alonso. Yeah. What the hell was he doing? Like, yeah. He'd already used two compounds. He went from right. the mediums until lap 11, right. and then put on the hards until lap 41 when he came in for his second stop. Mm -hmm. Why go on hards then? Because exactly. Hamilton had came on mediums two laps before, and he yeah. was absolutely flying. He's at the new fastest lap mm -hmm. for, for a brief moment. And then Alonso had that free stop behind him because Hamilton had come in, but they put hards on. Why? Right. right. And then you had that gap to build back up to Verstappen, and if you're on hards, you're going to be slow. I mean, yeah, he yeah. did well to, to hold off and finish nearly five seconds ahead of of Hamilton anyway, but, uh, but he had on. work to do because of that. Yeah, it was. I think it was just a case of him looking behind at Hamilton and not looking ahead to Verstappen. Like he was just yeah. trying to go defensive. I think at the end, which I'd, could have cost him the win. Who knows? Because he had, he definitely had time. He had thirty laps to, yeah, come in like to to build that gap back up. And it was only a nine point five second gap at the end. So he could have in in thirty laps built that back up. And there yeah. were times when you saw that gap going up by like going down by a second. And them two getting closer, but then it just goes back up because he's on the hards. And if he did that right. on the hards, it just makes me think what he could have done on the mediums. I know. That's exactly that's exactly my point. Yeah. And I mean, even so looking farther down the field, like so if you don't know the second half of the race, right? You're like at lap 30 or wherever, uh, like Hulkenberg and, and Joe and like even at this point, you're seeing the Ferrari's mediums continue to work and they weren't complaining like, oh, these tires are dropping off. We have to pit. We have to pit. And it's not like there were conversations about like, just stretch it as far as you can. Like, I think science even said like, tire feels good. <laughs> we're doing fine. Don't need to pit. Didn't he refuse a pit that they the Ferrari tried to pit him earlier? Yeah, I think they the crew came out like three times. Yeah. And every time he was just like, no, I'm not doing it and went on. Yeah, they had, to, they had to go back in looking all dejected and disappointed. Like, no, okay, I won't come back in. Yeah, and so if we're hearing that, obviously other teams are hearing that. So it's just like I, I think it was definitely unexpected the way that the tires, uh, the tire deg was a lot lower. But it just um, it seemed like the ones uh, who who noticed that um, had a massive advantage. Like, so Red Bull was with the program. They put Max on the mediums again instead of the hards, which maybe I think would have was a was out of observation of what was going on with the tires. But these other teams, I think, just went with their like original strategy and didn't adapt. But there was a lot left on the table because of that. I think Hulkenberg and Joe could have been put on mediums and made it. I think Alcon, same thing. And certainly Alonso 
the outcome could have been different if he was on mediums and these teams just like didn't really catch up in real time enough to what was happening with the tires yeah, yeah I, I, i'm just still thinking that alonso's decision to go on hards was so stupid yeah yeah exactly it, it was definitely a race of what could have been for, mm. for fernando but who mm. knows maybe maybe in austria he'll he'll rectify that yeah Hopefully. Anyway, yeah, to me, the, that, the race was completely about tires because there's just so much gained or lost depending on what strategy you went with, what decisions were made around tires, which is it's interesting. I don't hate it. Um, I would probably hate it if every single race was dominated by a surprise by the tires, but it's kind of nice when that happens just out of nowhere. Yeah, um, and it, what's even more surprising is Ferrari doing well in those races. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, finally they got one. <laughs> yeah, finally. But I, um, I don't know. Was that an accident? Was that their plan originally? Like it was a bold move. I love how we're at the point now where Ferrari have made a good strategy call, and we're here asking if it was an accident. Okay, fine, <laughs> fine, fine, fine. fine. We'll that. give them this. One. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> we'll give it to. <laughs> But another big story that's coming out is Mercedes are already planning more upgrades. They obviously brought huge upgrades that they were set to bring to Imola. That race didn't happen, so they brought them to Monaco. And they completely, like, near enough completely had redesigned the car. Mm -hmm. And now they're planning even more. That They're claiming, and the Total Wolf is, is claiming, will be even more significant than the, the upgrades previously brought in Monaco. Wow. I don't know how much of a truth factor that claims to be because we know what Toto Wolf is like with all the hyping the things. I mean, remember when he said that the no side pod Mercedes was going to be a second a lap quicker? Yeah. No, yeah. they're introducing these upgrades in Silverstone. Okay. Now, this is a very short turnaround from the, the old upgrades. So, does this mean that the upgrades that they'd introduced before were they maybe not as good enough as Mercedes had hoped? Because they haven't really bridged a gap to, to Red Bull or they certainly become more. Um, like not quicker but nearly as quick as aston yeah so they've worked in that regard but i, I think toto's goals are to challenge red bull and yeah. obviously they didn't do that with the upgrades before so is this him just figuring out that right the other ones didn't work but now we've we've sniffed out something that could work and we need to get him on the car as quick as possible yeah maybe i with upgrades it's always hard to speculate and uh and you'll see when the rubber hits the road, I think. One, one of the things that I'm wanting to know is at what point in the season do you start switching over to focusing on next year's car? Like halfway through, are we getting close to that point? Because upgrades right now, all the focus is still on what can we do this season? But at some point you cut your losses and you shift focus to the next season, right? Yeah, well, Red Bull have already started focusing on the 2024 car. Okay. I, I've read something on, on that, but there are still a lot of races left in the season so yeah, yeah. there is still there's not i don't think there's enough time for anyone to maybe want a, a title charge unless if it's fernando alonso because i think yeah. he's probably the only one that, that could realistically challenge max for the title should everything go his way yeah but i just think that from now on around like now or uh, maybe just after the summer break okay. you'd need to think right we're out of the championship we need to focus on making next year's car as quick as it can be. But then mm -hmm. there is some learning you can do from these upgrades. So if you introduce them and then your car this year becomes that much quicker, you yeah. can take that and you can go, right, well, this is what made this car quicker. So we can just apply it to next year's car as standard. And then we can upgrade on that if we see anything that we could improve on. Okay, fair enough. So maybe it comes down to, is it an incremental change that can be you know put on and adapted to this year's car? Is it a fundamental change that needs some huge structural difference, right? Well, they haven't had as much time to work on it since the other car got redesigned literally two races ago. Okay. So they haven't had enough time, but clearly they've seen something that they think could be an absolutely monumental change for the car and hopefully propel the Mercedes drivers to, to, to winning races at this point because they've been putting in some very, very good performances yeah. as of late with the, the machinery that they've had before, which hasn't been anywhere near as good. They've yeah. had podiums so far this season. They're just missing that that little element just to take them back to, to, to winning races and back to 
where we're used to them being for the past like 10 years. Yeah, they're hungry for it. That's for sure. They are not resigned at all. Not Hamilton, not George, not Toto, not the whole team. So yeah, and George, you saw his determination this race. I mean, he had the unfortunate mistake and it's very rare that he makes a mistake like that, but he wanted it so bad. He went out with the car that on the radio, he's, you know, checking to see if it even turned and then said, it's a bit bent, but it'll work. <laughs> I loved that. I love that scrappiness of just like... That, that had worried me, to be fair, because I saw him immediately come out of the pits and then he just went over to the side and I was like, oh, fuck, this, this, this car's done. Like, if he's doing that, coming out the pits in yeah. a straight line. I, well, I, I, I thought that was like... I didn't think that was him testing it. Oh, that just I looked think. like the car going on itself. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he's done for. Yeah, that would be... Turns out he was done for, just not when we thought. Yeah, but I applaud him for trying. I mean, there's nothing worse to me than just like retiring a car when there's just like a couple things wrong with it. I guess if it's for safety, that's one thing. But if if uh, if they don't run the car um, because they just like, you know, there's something wrong with it and they're not as fast as optimum, um, to me, that's just not very sportsmanlike. I think just, you know, run the best that you can. Even if they're, you're a second slower, just try to get it, get some data, get out there. Like, it's a race. Let's go. Like, you don't yeah. just, like, pull pull back your car as soon as you know you're not going to win. Like, let's go. So I really liked seeing that out of George. And um, he just has such a fury for, for competition. It's evident all the time. Driver of the weekend. Um, who are you giving this one to? I, I genuinely don't have a very strong pick here. I There's a lot of iffy options. There is no standout for me. I mean, Max is strong, steady, but he, you know, there's no like amazing drive for me. Albin, I think is the closest because of his defensive drive. Um, but I still, I don't know what I'm remembering, but there was some reason why I was going to take away his credit, but maybe that's unfair. So I'll just go with Alvin to undo that in case I was incorrect completely. <laughs> <laughs> nah, so I was just going to go for um, like whoever you didn't go for because I'd left, obviously there's, there's Max, yeah, but like whoever you didn't go for here, I was going to go for. So I'm going to give this one to, to George Russell for his performance before his DNF. Because okay. he, after clipping the wall mm -hmm. and damaging the, the right rear of his car, losing a wheel, yeah, him to, to limp back home under the safety car, come home and like come back into the pits, mm -hmm. scare the fuck out of me, and <laughs> end up in running eighth yeah. before his retirement. That was such a good comeback drive, and that's something that I haven't right. seen talked about at all. So for me, and for, for getting back up there, that's something that I've got to give him to. I got to give to him, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't believe that he came back out of the pits. I mean, I thought for sure they were going to shut the car off and retire it, but they went back out. And he, you're right, he was up at eighth. He was in the points for a sec. Everybody thought that it was going to happen, and then no, at the end it was a fool's errand. But it still shows a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of the good stuff we want to see. For race day, right? Yeah. All right. Radio message of the weekend. Now, yeah. There weren't many for us to, to pick from. I have one. There were a few, as there is every weekend. All right. You have yours. What I, would it be? I have one that you haven't listed here, which is Do when you? Max nearly died because he hit the curb wrong late in the race. And he just kind of chuckled like nothing matters, like a complete nihilist. He's like, oh, I almost put it in the wall there. <laughs> that was mine. Uh, I'm stuck between two for mine. Mine is either um, when Max goes, oh, I hit a bird. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was someone saying that they knocked themselves out nearly on a curb. Um, but I'm, I'm, I've got to give it to the classic album defending. Like, I have no idea what the classic album defending is, but apparently James Valls does the Williams team bus. <laughs> <laughs> As he Wait, was what is Fighting against Esteban Ocon, he just came on the radio and says, right, it's time for classic album defending. And I think that might be the new Valtteri, it's James. I hope it is. <laughs> hey, man, sometimes when you want somebody to step up the bat, you just call them a you know, pinch hitter. You just tell them what they are, whether they yeah. are or not, and they'll step up to the plate. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then for the final award of this little segment, we have Disappointment of the weekend. Uh, Joel, who would you give that 
prestigious award too. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for me, it's looking like Perez. I think the only reason he was in the points at all was because of the tire strategy. You know, they started him on hards because that's typically what you do if you have somebody that should be higher, but something went wrong and they're starting lower so that maybe they can cash in on that kind of a strategy. It happened to work, which is great, but it wasn't really anything that Perez did. Um, so to me, he was the disappointment, which sucks because, I, you know, we were we were cheering for him earlier in this season. So hopefully he has his comeback. Hopefully he doesn't get canned. I really think that there's something more there. He's just going through a down period. So we'll see. But this weekend, we didn't see it. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm sharing mine between two drivers this, this week. Mine is going half to Lance Stroll and half to Nico Hulkenberg. Stroll, it's his home race. We've seen that he's got the car to compete. He just wasn't there. Like qualifying, what, 14th? Yeah. I think either 14th or like 15th, 16th, somewhere around that area. I think it was like 16th. And, you know, while Alonso's up there fighting for for second and third. Yeah. He just wasn't there. And then you've got Nico Hulkenberg, who qualified so well. He put himself on the front row of the grid. Obviously, he got the, the three-place grid penalty, so right. he started fifth. And then from there, it just kind of went like to shit. He ended up finishing 15th, and I would have mm. expected him from around that area starting to at least hold on to some points, maybe? I don't know. But no, he, he fell back probably a lot further back than a lot of us were expecting him to so yeah i'm I'm just going to split mine and share it between the two all right yeah fair enough all right well that was the canadian grand prix do you want to do a quick preview to what to look forward to in the austrian yes this i've been excited for this bit because me and you should know as mclaren fans lando norris is absolutely magic Mm -hmm. around the red bull ring two podiums in four years and even starting on the front row in 2021. And McLaren are also a very, very good car around Austria. Even Daniel Ricciardo putting in some good performances in a, in a rather bad stretch for the team both years, actually. Hmm. And that uh, also begs a question for me if Oscar Piastri will be able to keep up with Lando simply because how good McLaren is around Austria. It's very circuit-specific. And the thing is with Austria as well, it's a very straight line speed oriented track. So another thing that someone who I would look out for would be Alex Albon and Williams because they have a very good straight line car. So this is normally a race where we see a lot of midfield teams come a lot very good. So this is one that I'm looking forward to. It's a sprint weekend as well, which means I've got to get up ridiculous times on a Saturday morning to watch the sprint qualifying. It is a sprint. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we could see a lot of things shaken up. There could be an incident or two in the sprint that could damage the, the, the Grand Prix, which mm-hmm. is something that I've been confused about. Like, say Max puts it on pole mm-hmm. and then crashes out in the sprint and is ruled out for the Grand Prix. Will that just mean that, like, well, whoever qualified second will take pole and there'll be a 19-car field? I don't know. Or like, I guess. Yeah. yeah, but then, then we had Leclerc in Monaco when he his car failed on the warm-up on the way to the grid. And then Paul was just empty. Oh, so yeah. I have no idea. Um, but huh. no, hopefully something happens to spice this up. Because honestly, this the way it's going, Red Bull are going to win every race of the season at this point. Yeah, and a few more. And like I said, I'm going to actually start rooting for them because it'll be incredible instead of just frustrating. But yeah, yeah. well, um, I... I would be looking forward to Oscar's performance because um, this past race, Oscar and Lando were kind of duking it out, to be honest. Like they were really racing each other. And I can feel like the healthy competition between those two. And so if the car is good around the track and they actually have some real points to fight for, like they did for a second here in this race, then that'll be really exciting to watch because Oscar is just jumping right up to yeah. competition immediately and so that's really fun to watch yeah and he's proven that he can as well like he's proven that he can be like a a very quick driver and a very solid points contender yeah so and we haven't really seen a track this season where the mclarens felt comfortable 
and yeah. you could argue with Spain in qualifying, but that was mainly conditions. So I feel like if we get to Austria and it turns out that the McLaren is as historically good this weekend, I I honestly have like I, I have no expectations for Piastri simply because I don't know what he'd be like when the car is just suited in every aspect to the track. Like, we've only seen him put in good performances where the car has just not liked the circuit in any way. So I, I don't, I, I want to manage my expectations because I don't want to say that he could win or get a podium or anything. That's pretty funny fear look, to have. Because then I'll just look ridiculous. Yeah, it's a good fear to have as well. And that's, well, it's just, that's such a funny thing. It's like, I've only succeeded when the conditions have been horrible. When things are going right, maybe I'll fail. That's so funny. I don't know. I think I have more optimism than that. I think if the environment around him, the car, you know, is good, track is suited, I think he would only improve. I think it's really cool what we're seeing out of him. Also, he seemed to um, be a little bit shy about overtakes the first few races in the season. And boy, has he overcome that seeing this yeah. past race. He just, I don't know how many overtakes he had, but he'd wasted no time behind anybody. So that was really cool to see. Yeah. And He's definitely been growing into it a lot, and that's another reason that I don't want to say anything about him in Austria, because if I set expectations for, for how good I think someone's going to be, I will automatically, my brain will just go, podium, race win, and then it won't happen, and I'll feel fucking devastated. I do. So, yeah. well, I'm not, not I don't saying think they're anything. For I'm not yeah. saying anything. I'm not, that could jinx. That could jinx our boys. I'm keeping quiet on this one. Fair enough. I do think that you're completely right that um, Albin will have a pretty good showing. I think it's a track well suited for him. All right. Well, that was podcast of the week. I don't even know if we call it the Canadian Grand Prix review or just the weekly podcast by Joel and Ollie, where we ramble on about whatever we think about Formula One on whatever day we do it. <laughs> No, it's always fun. Yeah. One quick thing before we go, there will be a link in the description that will take you to the F1 store. We have a link. And if you click our link and go and shop through there, it helps us out. And who doesn't want to help us out? Come on, it's us. We're your two favorite F1 podcasters on the planet. Don't lie. Uh, there's a very cool sale at the moment going on where you can get 30% off the majority of things in the store at the moment. So it's a very good deal. A lot of things going for very cheap now. So come on, click on the link, buy something, help us. We're not forcing you, but we are at the same time. No. Yeah. Get suited <laughs> so, up. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for, for watching or listening, whatever platform you're on. I've been Ollie. He's been Joel. Thank you so much. We will see you next time to look back and review at the Australian Grand Prix, hopefully with Oscar Piastri on the podium. <laughs> and hopefully sooner than a week after the race. <laughs> yes. All right. See bye, you. everybody. Thank you.